Hey there, welcome to The Hot Slice, the weekly podcast brought to you by Pizza Today magazine. I'm your host, Jeremy White, Editor-in-Chief of Pizza Today, joined today by none other than the one, the only, Miss Denise Greer. What's up, Denise? Why, hello, Jeremy. Hello. Hello. You're going to have to bear with me today. After two and a half years of somehow, someway escaping COVID, it hit me hard the last yeah. week and a half, and my voice is not quite back to par yet. So. Yeah. And I will say, I have still escaped it. Knock on wood over here. You shouldn't have said that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to jinx myself, but uh, it's okay. It's, uh, you know, even if I get it now, I'm okay. It'll it'll be fine. (laughs) I'm just, I'm just tired of talking about it and dealing with it. It's been since March, 2020, and here it is still hanging around. Yeah, here we are still, uh, still thinking about it. Like anchovies on a pizza menu. Just hanging around. (laughs) Hey, I like anchovies, so I don't know where that Trying goes. Got to find the button in this fine. call right now. <laughs> <laughs> Denise, All who's right. our guest today on the podcast? All right, so we have Danny Stoller from Square Pie Guys in San Francisco. Him and his partner, uh, Mark Schrechter, um, have just opened their third location. And it's not just a third location. It is like a wowza huge location so this is a show place yeah it really is i mean it is literally if you're uh, if you're if you're in north beach and you're looking up at the skyline behind you it it's right in front Mm -hmm. of the uh giardelli sign like it is right in front of everything yeah um it is it's it's a show place yeah it it definitely is Um, not only is it beautiful but for those listening to the podcast, if they go check out the Square Pie Guys Instagram page, Drool you'll see the food is stunningly beautiful. Yeah. If you uh, want to learn food photography, what you should be doing on your Instagram to make people drool, make people crave your food, Square Pie Guys is some, somebody you should follow because they... Uh, they definitely make have me drooling like every day. Every day I'm liking their posts and going, oh my goodness, can I have this right now? And I can't because they're across the country from me. <laughs> Denise, here, here's a question for you. Now, we're going to get into this in the interview. Daniel will talk about it, but can we call their pizza Detroit-style pizza? I know they do. Yeah. I mean, okay, here's my my thing on, okay, so you have a style. You have Detroit, You have New York, Detroit. Chicago, you have like all these different styles around the country. People do apply their own take mm-hmm. on it. Uh, so you're going to see how they differ from Detroit. And right. so the, the Detroit traditionalist would say, that's not Detroit. That's just Correct. somebody's creation. It's, you know, it is what it is. But for me, like, if I want to explain to somebody what their style is, um, because I want to explain it in the magazine or I want to explain, you know, to somebody that needs to go try it. I'm going to describe it as a Detroit style and say, hey, they took their own liberties on certain aspects. Look, people have been taking liberties on Neapolitan now for a very long time, and we'll call it Neo-Neapolitan, right? Or yeah. something to that effect, because the traditional Neapolitan guidelines are very strict and some people have discovered that if they operate slightly outside those boundaries they can produce a product that they find works better for them and that's kind of what has has happened here if we Mm -hmm. 
operate slightly outside what the purist would strictly define as Detroit style pizza. If we make a few tweaks, we have a product that that we we like better and that our customers appreciate. Yeah, and let's let's face it, Detroit is one of those styles uh, where it is it is so outside of the box for what pizza consumers are used to. First, it's square. First, second, it's sauce on top. Second, it's using a, a, a cheese that not a lot of people are familiar with, brick. Um, so in that, you're going to have a little bit of variation on what people decide mm-hmm. to do in those veins, you know. Um, and so those liberties that they're taking now, I don't know if you want to tr- try to call it a new Detroit or I don't know. We're going to have to ask the guys at Buddies what they call uh, <laughs> those, uh, that that change up the style a little bit. That's what I think we should do. We should go. We should ask Wes. Wes, Wes will tell us. Fair enough. Let's do that. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we should just get Danny on. He's got a lot to talk about because he is kind of that op side of things. So opening three stores, he's got so much knowledge in the mm-hmm. operations, the system. So if you're looking to grow, this is an episode you need to make sure mm-hmm. you, you you pin and listen to. Absolutely. Let's get Daniel in here. Hear that? That's the sound of a pizza being made with delicious Baccio cheese. For the past decade, Baccio has provided customers exceptional Italian pizza cheese with its signature kiss of buffalo milk. With a superior melt, endless stretch, and a rich creamy taste beyond compare, Baccio is honored to celebrate this 10-year anniversary with all of its partners. Schedule a demonstration at bacciocheese.com slash hot slice to learn more. Pizza's your legacy. Build it with Baccio. Looking to grow your pizzeria or restaurant? Then you'll want to try the power of a cloud-based POS system. With Hunger Rush, you'll get everything you need. This fully integrated restaurant management system allows you to easily streamline operations, accelerate the delivery process, and grow your business through Hunger Rush 360 marketing. And it's so easy to use. Want AI-powered text ordering? It's built in. Need to track orders? No problem. Schedule a personalized demo at HungerRush.com today. Performance Food Service is proud to deliver high-quality products, innovative technology, and custom operational solutions to restaurants of all sizes across the country. The flagship division of Performance Food Group, with deep roots in the restaurant industry, Performance Food Service has been the exclusive distributor of the Roma family of brands for more than 65 years. This signature relationship has allowed Performance Food Service to become a leader in the pizza and Italian segment of food service nationwide. Daniel, what's a business climate like right now for you? What is the business climate like right now for me? I think it's a really interesting time. Uh, I think we came out of probably the two and a half hardest years you could be in this industry, at least in the time I've been in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, We're looking at some kind of of a recession, whether or not it is sustained, we will kind of remains to be seen. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think what we've seen is in certain segments in our industry, recessions are not catastrophic. And I think folks have seen opportunities in recessions or have been able to survive, maybe even thrive. Um, So I think we're cautiously optimistic as we always are. Um, And just really interested to see what the next 18 months holds. Um, It's, it's fascinating. And I think we're really excited with the team we have to, to get through it together. And you say you're coming off of uh, this, uh, you know, this tumultuous time, but in that, you have just opened up your a very large space. I mean, you have expanded. Tell us about um, this new location. 
uh, that you have going, which I, Jeremy, I tell you what, I snuck to it while we were in uh, San Francisco oh, on a sneak tip. Yeah, because nice. it was near it was near where we were staying in San Francisco. So I got That's to awesome. see it. And it is a beautiful spot, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So we opened our third location uh, just shy of three years before the anniversary of our first location. So three and three was feels good. It's a nice little yeah. tagline. I'm getting it printed on shirts and hats. No, I'm just kidding. I love that. <laughs> uh, you know, so the original plan for Square Pie Guys, we had a pop-up and, you know, we had a lot of fun with that and we loved being able to go out to, you know, we had a, a t- Thursday night, Friday night kind of standing pop-up and then we would go pop-up at breweries and bars. Mm-hmm. And I live in the east side of the, I live the East Bay. So like east of the Bay in San Francisco. And we always wanted to have a big sprawling sort of beer garden you know, little pizza shack and a lot of outdoor seating. And, you know, a lot of things shook out where that didn't happen for our first two locations. And in many ways, it didn't really happen for our third location. But what we were able to do was secure this awesome location on a waterfront. And we have the, we have a parklet, we have about 1200 square feet of outdoor seating. Um, And I think a lot of that is a learning from, from COVID. So we have this location that is beautiful. It's gorgeous. You know, Denise was telling me that she watched the outdoor swimmers, like, you know, yeah. open water swimmers, which yeah. I'm super excited to try one day if I yeah. get a chance. Um, and this location happens to be sort of strategically located for delivery. So, you know, famously San Francisco, despite being in California, gets cold at random times when you're not really yeah. expecting it. You don't want to go sit outside on the waterfront. So we have a location that's sort of set up in a way where if that happens, you can order delivery and it's surrounded by neighborhoods that sort of fit our kind of target consumers demographics. Um, so this third location is it's big, but it's big because we're prepared to do both dine in and take out, hopefully very well at very high volume. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just so happens that the space, because of how it's laid out, creates a lot of opportunities for dine in. Yeah. Uh, we also claimed about 25% or 30% of the of the indoor space back for kitchens. So we we wow. stole back from from diners and we put it in, put in counters so that we could expedite to go orders because what we learned during covid was it's not just the space in the oven, it's not mm-hmm. just the space in the walk-in or the make line. It's like when you're stacking up a busy Friday night, you need to put boxes somewhere where you yeah. while you're waiting to for the other pizzas where you're waiting for the guests to pick it up. So uh, it was a super fun experience and I think it's uh, distillation of what I always like to say, I haven't learned anything, but I think I've learned a little bit, but in three years of learning, I think it's a distillation of that. Absolutely. And three and three, that is a huge feat. Yeah. Uh, really was it is. something that you had planned from the get-go to do three and three, or is it something that opportunity landed and you just seize that moment? I think it's, I think it's a combination. I mean, there was a point where I had looked at some of these other kind of quickly scaling brands and, you know, they did it with venture capital money and they did it with lower volume stores and not during Mm -hmm. a pandemic. Um, But there was one point when, you know, you're so optimistic. It's like, oh, we're going to open our first store that will open two. the second year. We'll have five stores in three years. And when I look back on that now, learning what I've learned and like the people that we've worked with, it's just like, that would have been crazy. And I, I think it would have set us up for, for not building a great base for growth. Um, so there was a time when you, if you said, oh, you only opened three in three years, that's slow. Now on the other end of it, I think Mark and I would both say it was the perfect speed. Um, and it, it was intentional. I mean, we like the idea of growth. Heats is a, a concept that if you set it up for success, can scale relatively quickly. And that's always, mm-hmm. that's always been the goal, but you know, five and three years is, is a bit much, <laughs> at least for us. 
what did you discover? I, obviously, there were myriad challenges going from one store to two, no question. But as you grew, what did you discover as some of the largest challenges or obstacles to successfully growing? I think the biggest thing is that, so I think we all know culture is the most important mm -hmm. thing for an organization. Mm -hmm. Culture scales, but the benefits of culture don't scale. So like you have a pizza shop and yeah. you know, you're know you not a jerk and you provide people with what they need to be successful and you treat them with respect yeah. and they make really good food. Like that's just kind of how it works. Mm -hmm. You can squeeze the benefits of that up to two stores. But once you start getting beyond three stores, you really have to systematize a lot of it. You can't just rely on culture. So I've always said like, we can rely on culture to a certain point, but then it becomes training and systems. And yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but I guess my yeah. point is like, you know, we had amazing people and those amazing people sort of created the systems as they went. And we're like, that works. That doesn't work. We tweaked it. Um, once you get to three stores, you want all three stores to run basically the same way. So it's not just as easy as like having an awesome GM that does a great job with their team. And we have that, but we also have to give them the tools to make sure that if you go to Oakland or you go to Soma or you go to the new location, you can reasonably expect it's going to be about the same. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and then I think for me, what's been so hard is that there was a time when it was my job and Mark's job to like yeah. be the people that built those systems. But there's coming a time when like now we're not even the people that get to do that. We have to support right. a team to put those systems in place. And that has been by far the biggest learning of my entire career. And I just square five, my, my entire career feels like, oh, wow, I need to drastically shift how I'm approaching this if we're going to yeah. continue to grow and succeed. Well, and with two the... of you. So when you went to a second location, mm -hmm. you could still one of you two could be present anytime you wanted to. When you go to three locations, right? Two of you. Nope. It's impossible. <laughs> How did you overcome that hurdle? So I think that's, that, that was a, that's a good point because people would always ask like, so Danny, are you in Oakland and, and Mark's in Soma? And from a pretty early, like part of, from an early stage in our business, we had pretty clear delineations and, we're both heavily involved. I mean, Mark is the biggest pizza nerd in the world. So like, yeah. he's always going to have an opinion about pizza and how to do it. I have, a, I have a background in restaurant operations and was like a fine dining chef at one point. And I'm super kind of driven by this like bigger, broader goal. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we struggled a lot as early restaurant owners of like learning when we should let go or how we yeah. can delegate. So when we opened our second store, it wasn't like, hey, Danny, you keep Soma or you stay at Soma and Mark goes to Oakland. It was like, well, we have a GM at Soma. We need to hire a GM at Oakland. And I think we were very fortunate to have put that in place so that there was less of that hurdle of like, when we open new stores, we always need a GM. Mm -hmm. um, what we learned with Oakland was that we don't hire the GM three months before we should hire the GM like six months before and get them yeah. really dialed into the system and like have them train. Um, so, you know, there's always things that you learn, but I think that because we have that sort of delineation and because we're able to create those like structures, it mm -hmm. allows us to think like it becomes more plug and play versus like, you know, having an owner in, in the, in the restaurant. So yeah. it's hard, it, you know, you have to let go, which is the hardest thing. In yeah. The world. You know, yeah, sure. some of the things that I, I kind of wanted to go back to when you were talking about the culture versus what you needed to systemize. What were some of those key things that you had to systemize from your culture in order to really make sure it was happening on the ground level? I mean, I think the biggest thing is how you interact with a guest. And, mm -hmm. you know, we, 
we always like to say we hire for personality and, and train the skills. And I think that's really true. Um, but within that band, there's sort of language that you can use or approaches to certain de-escalations that without that guidance might not happen. So the one thing that yeah. we did from basically day one was hopefully this doesn't bite us in the butt to say it out loud, but like if you email our store email or info at square pie guys, or there was yeah. a Yelp review and you had an experience, it wasn't to our standards. We would own it. We'd like, look, we're really sorry. Mm -hmm. We generally offer a refund and we would give yeah. you a gift card so we could de-risk coming back. And yeah. that is not the traditional approach for a lot of restaurants. Like they're very averse to giving away things for right. free and I get it. Yeah. And people can totally take advantage of that. But yeah. it was super important to us that we gave our GMs those tools. So we gave them email templates. We gave them sort of like the understanding of how to handle this given situation. You know, we call them SOPs. Now it's expanded to sort of like training guides and manuals. But it's like, if this happens, here's how you're going to respond. Like you can choose the language that you have to. Um, can you hear it? said my headphones. Yeah. It uh it yeah just went a little funky on you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Anyways, I'll let um, you restart that a little. Yeah, so effectively, like when we started handing off some of those guest interactions and guest problem solving, we really wanted to give our team a, a set of SOPs and expectations, and the language was sort of there to their discretion, but the actual refunds, you know, comps, that was all sort of built into a system. Yeah. Um, beyond that, you know, it's just continuing to build those like from a food perspective, if a pizza isn't to our standards, you know, is that subjective? Yes and no, but there's certain things you can identify that make a pizza not to our standards. Mm -hmm. So it's like, Hey, look, if the pepperoni looks like this, for whatever reason, that's a no go. You know, yeah. we struggled a lot with learning exactly how to dial in, how to teach, how to know if a piece of dough was ready to cook. And then if it came yeah. out of the oven over or underproofed, how to catch that. And those are those things that like, you can look at how everyone else in the world does it, but only mm -hmm. your operation is going to mm -hmm. know exactly how you do it for you. Um, and, the, and it's kind of fun. It's like this like 3D chess of like, well, how do we make a picture that shows you exactly what you need to know if you're not like a trained pizzaiolo? Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a really exciting challenge. That sounds so fun. Talk about your pizza a minute. It is just visually when I see photographs of it. Mouth-watering. It is Mouth-watering. Your, your pizza is very attractive. But so just talk about the style and um, why you do it the way you do it. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you. I mean, the, the visual appeal is a big part of it. You know, mm -hmm. in early days, we talked about how we wanted to be Instagrammable. And, you know, mm -hmm. so much credit goes to Mark for how much time and effort he puts into the Instagram ability and continuing yeah. to Instagram. I mean, that guy is a social media guru. You he should start it. an agency. I drool um, over the pizza at least once yeah. a day. At least yeah, once a day. <laughs> I, thank you so much. Um, you know, we do we do our version of Detroit style pizza. So it mm -hmm. started with this idea that Detroit style needed to be on the West Coast and it needed to be done well. Um, we had a pop up, and some of the earliest pizzas we had on our menu stay on our menu to this day. Mm -hmm. We tweaked it a little bit through the pop up. You know, when we had a pop up, we were making it by hand in the basement of a bar. <clears throat> totally not permitted, but it was food safe. It just was <laughs> not a place where you technically are supposed to be making pizza. Um, in our version of Detroit style, we realized that we didn't like the sort of the visual appeal of the sauce on top. We mm -hmm. also didn't like the flavor profile of that, that baked sauce, mm -hmm. like with the sauce on top, because it cooks a lot more on top of the cheese. Right. So right. we broke one of the biggest tenants of Detroit style pizza really early on. Um, yeah. And I think in some ways that made it more approachable and more, 
easy to digest, I guess pun intended, um, for the <laughs> West Coast consumer who didn't really know Detroit style pizza. Um, we don't use brick cheese. You know, we use amazing grande cheese from Wisconsin. We have a cheddar cheese edge around the pan. So one of the most labor intensive things we do is you sauce and then you literally take your hand and you line the pan with cheddar cheese. Then you put the under the cheese toppings, cheese on top. It adds at least like a minute to the build process. So that's how you get that um, beautiful crown, right? The crown that you've got going around there. Beautiful. Exactly. So with our oven and the temperature we bake at, the grande just comes out too dark. So having that fattier sort of like more orange cheese really creates mm -hmm. that like I don't want it black and I don't want it blonde. I want that perfect gold, you know, we used to call it GBD, yeah. golden brown and delicious. And I think that <laughs> visual appeal, yeah. you know, you can look at the side of it and you see that layer of crispy cheddar, maybe a little bit of sauce underneath it, it kind of seeped out to the pan and then that like crunchy kind of GBD uh, crust as well. You know, That's... there's certainly a sweet spot. If it gets too done, it's it's just gross. It just, mm -hmm. it just is. It You've got to hit that seam and that sweet spot. Otherwise, it's, yeah, if it gets black, it just, yeah. you get it. The it's funny because... Oh, sorry, oh, so go, go, ahead. go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, like, you look at pictures of, like, tradition... So I don't know I don't know why I'm using quotes. Of traditional Detroit-style pizza, and some of it looks really dark. Yeah, and I think does. when yeah. we were first making it, we were, you know, we didn't have this childhood reference. So we were, a lot of it was based on pictures and, and books and, you know, articles we were reading, and it's like, is it supposed to be this dark? Like, is that traditional? Does that look right? Like, yeah. does it doesn't look right to us. So that <laughs> tweaking, a lot of it was based on just like, does it look good? Does it taste mm -hmm. good? Um, and, and now we think it, it obviously looks good and tastes good too. So, And see, and using the the, the cheddar versus using white cheddar, uh, that's something that I, I don't see a lot when people change up Detroit. I, I haven't seen them use the cheddar versus, I see them use the white cheddar a lot. Uh, but yeah. to do standard cheddar <clears throat> and have that coloring, it, it's that's pretty cool. Thank you. I mean, I, I honestly don't know if we did that intentionally or if that's mm -hmm. what we got available from our vendor when we were testing it. Uh, but I'll say I'm I'm actually in my mom's dining room right now. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm from Seattle. We're up here visiting for a couple of days. Nice. Um, I'm a I'm a Pacific Northwest boy. I fondly remember going to the Tillamook cheese factory and like, yeah. I don't know if you've been to the Tillamook cheese factory. It's quite the uh -huh. experience. Um, and so there's something about using Tillamook cheddar that feels like a sort of, and Mark lived in Seattle. He's been to the factory. It feels yeah. like this like sort of melding of, of backgrounds, like where you're kind of making New York style sauce and it's Detroit style pizza. And then it's like Pacific Northwest kind of cherished cheese is the edge. Um, so yeah. I, I like the cheddar, but I honestly don't remember if we did it on purpose or it's just a happy accident that we then really liked. Yeah, I gotcha. Um, you know, let's, you know, you, um, you guys are big on doing seasonal and collaborations kind of, mm -hmm. you know, speak on what, what you're doing with that. And, you know, we're getting ready to go into fall. So are you doing anything kind of unique or different when it comes to uh, fall? So I think the fall collab is going to be, amazing yeah um, i think also i owe it to mark to not quite let that one slip yet but i uh, promise okay. when we're ready to announce it you'll see <laughs> um i'm really excited about the person we're doing with i'm really excited about kind of what it's going to mean i think we're going to actually refresh one of our main components of our pizzas i think we're like redoing our hot honey as part of this mm -hmm. collaboration nice. for something that's a little bit more to our taste you know we've been using mike's hot honey since we opened and we love mike and we love the brand we love mike's hot mm -hmm. honey yeah. and you know it's been three years we're tinkerers one day someone yeah. said let's put this thing in that and it's like 
oh, wow, that tastes really good. So a mm-hmm. um, little bit of excitement coming, but I want to keep that under wraps. Yeah. Um, so how the, hard uh, is it to do collaborations? Like how is it hard is it to line these up? Are you, are you doing direct, are you working direct with these folks or are you working through your distributor? Like how are you uh, setting up these collaborations? It really varies. And I would say Mark spends a lot of his time either thinking about or trying to, you know, make that happen. Um, The first one, I mean, the first one was at our pop-up, Big Vaughn, excuse me, Big Vaughn is a radio jockey on Mm -hmm. uh, KMEL, which is like a big, you know, Billboard 100 kind of pop station in the Bay. And KMEL records right down the street from the pop-up. So oh, Vaughn wow. used to get off his show and he'd come in with his buddies and he's like, he's a big guy. And he would order the, what used to be called the mean green sausage machine. And he'd say, Hey, <laughs> take the broccoli. It's a, it's white sauce. It's a Italian sausage, broccoli and Mike's hot honey. And he'd say, Hey, can you take the broccoli off and add pepperoni? Um, so he took the, like the one sort of vegetables, like get that out of here. Uh, it's a great yeah. pizza. To this day, it's our second bestseller. It has been basically since we opened. Oh, wow. And that was our that was our first collab. So when we, you know, when we opened our our restaurant, we're like, well, we got to put Big Vaughn on the menu. We're texting him. We're like, hey, Vaughn, can we put your name on the menu? He's like, yeah, of course. Um, so that was our first sort of attempt at at that collab. And then Jeremy Lin, I think, was our first sort of really high visibility one. Jeremy Lin was just, you know, he grew up in the Bay Area. He would come in and he would... This is this is funny. This reveals a certain dynamic, but I we had we had said that we don't do substitution. So it's like you can do a create yeah. your own, or you can order off the menu, but we don't tweak anything on the menu. And uh, Mark and my GM are huge fans of Jeremy Lin. So under the radar, there were modifications happening with this. What a scandal! Um, <laughs> and then one day, you know, we were like, well, maybe Jeremy would do a pizza with us. And so we ended up doing this tasting, and we sort of had a hypothesis of. We wanted the pizza to represent what he wanted, but we didn't want to like go too far away from what we normally do. Um, There's this awesome tasting. And then the press in the Bay loves Jeremy Lin. So what we saw was we started putting this press release out and like Eater was like, oh my God, can we talk to Jeremy? Like the Chronicle got excited and it was like, wow, so we're going to help. And we also had a charity component. So it was like each pizza, 3% of sales were going to charity. Jeremy Lin matched it. And it's like, okay, so we can do really good. We mm-hmm. can make a fun, exciting pizza that we know is going to sell because people like the name. Yeah. And we're going to get some attention from folks all around. You know, in this case, it was national. It was like yeah. a win-win-win. Yeah. Um, and I think that kind of was this like light bulb of like, well, we should, con- we should continue this. So some of them happen organically. The one for fall actually is a, a local kind of food celebrity um nice. well, I won't even gender them and they have like yeah. posted us a couple times and this one was interesting because they're at the stage of their career where they have an agent like kind of managing the relationship so the first call wow. we had was with you know two folks sitting in an office not the person um but we've kind of continued to evolve that and I'm so excited to see it happen um yeah. and it's been it's been amazing and I think it it speaks to how well Mark does a job of kind of creating that excitement on Instagram. People are excited to be associated with us and we're obviously very excited to be associated with them. Yeah, wow. You know, what's something what do you, you know, now that you've got um the third location open, what are you looking forward to now? Like what as as operations guy, what are you, you know, what's what's on your mind moving? moving forward now into the end of the year, into the beginning of 2023. How am I still, how am I even saying 2023 already? But here <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> it's coming. 
I mean, honestly, it feels like it's 2025 sometimes. Uh, yeah, like, exactly. it, just, it goes so fast. <laughs> um, I think the biggest thing is, you know, we've hired a director of operations. We're kind of poised to continue to scale. Mm-hmm. Um, looking forward, I think it's really refining those systems. So to the point, like the amount of time we spend on collaborations is amazing. How do we systematize some of that? Like, how do we build a system around that? Like, how do we do it without losing the je ne sais quoi that makes it so special? Mm-hmm. And how do we how do we continue to become a national brand? And, you know, in some ways, I think there's some national recognition in the pizza space. I mean, obviously, you're in Louisville and you snuck into a restaurant while we weren't there. So that's happening. Um, but our goal is to become a beloved national brand. Like we would love to become a Domino's that hasn't necessarily. um well, I don't want to speak ill of any other operator, but we want to make sure that we retain our culinary credibility and the mm-hmm. sort of high level of quality as we continue to scale. It's a yeah. really important to us. Um, so looking forward to 2023, I mean, we want to open more stores in the Bay and then we're ready to look at a new market. So we mm-hmm. we love the idea of opening in LA. Obviously, I'm from Seattle. We see a lot of similarities between parts of the Bay and what Seattle's become now. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so just continuing to set up a a brand and an operation and a corporate structure that is that is ready to take on that sort of new challenges is the look forward for us. You know, we don't we don't have Detroit here in uh, in Louisville. I'm just saying we uh, we, don't, we don't have any Detroit. We we would we, well, I think we have a, we have maybe one. Uh, we have a large national chain. National chain. Detroit Pizza. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Is it so. is it Jets? Yes. Yeah. 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 I'm surprised. I mean. I, you know, obviously Emmy is a direct competitor in some ways, but I'm surprised they haven't looked at Louisville yet, given what oh, they've been no, doing. No, we do have an Emmy. It just, it's okay. it's pretty new and it's in kind of a hot area with mm. no park, with very little parking. So we don't get to it much. Got it. Yeah. So, so I should take note, if we open no. in Louisville, we got to have a big parking lot or underground parking. You're in a driving part of the country. So yeah. You know. Street parking won't cut it in Louisville. <laughs> right. Okay. Good to know. I mean, I, yeah. I grew up in Seattle and Shoreline where it's like, yeah, you got to have a parking lot or you don't go. Like yeah. people love to talk about how, how hard it is to park. I didn't have I, this whole yeah. week. I have not had a single issue finding parking. But I remember growing up, there was a lot of conversation about how hard it was to find parking. So yeah. it's part of the culture. Yeah. yeah. In Louisville, if there's nowhere to park, people will not stop. Period. Yeah. So it's kind of it's kind of the kiss of death sometimes, depending on what type of operation they have. Um, so we'll close out on this question, and that is, um, what's something exciting that you are seeing in the in- industry that you cannot wait to kind of jump onto? I think there's, that's a great question. I mean, there's so much happening right now. Yeah, there um, is. I mean, for me and for our our values, like our first value is team first. And I think mm-hmm. what we've seen through the pandemic is, uh, I hopefully, hopefully a true shift towards being a little bit more employee centric. And mm-hmm. I say that as someone who came up in the industry and, you know, I remember training was like being told to make a recipe and then getting yelled at because it wasn't how the chef wanted yeah. it done, but I wasn't given right. a recipe. I was just told uh-huh. to make it. Sink or swim. Um, yeah. And I, I think, you know, what we're seeing is in certain states where the cost of living has stayed lower, we're seeing cooks and, and servers finding some pay parity and, and finding a world where you can make a career out of this industry in a big way again. Yeah. That to me has always been a huge goal. And just seeing the changes happen through the pandemic, it's heartening. Um, I would love it if, you know, people can start working at Square Pie Guys and end up a multimillionaire because they become a regional manager or whatever it is. I would also love it if, you know, dishwashers could pay their way through college or get help with college. And I think seeing that happen in the industry, I mean, I, I left restaurants. 
I left restaurants because the hours were bad and the working conditions were bad. And particularly in fine dining, the pay was terrible for the right. like skill set that was expected. And I came back partially because I think that with pizza or with fast casual or with yeah. technologically enabled restaurants, there is an opportunity to fix a lot of that. Um, yeah. I can't wait. I can taste it. Pun intended. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I've just got a wealth of knowledge that's just going to flow through from you. So uh, I appreciate you, uh, you know, just sharing your ideas. My pleasure. And uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Uh, Daniel, we'll thank a- you. You've got lofty goals. We're big fans of what you are doing. So keep up the great work. I'll see you right in the on. parking lot of Square Pie Guys Louisville. There you go. I <laughs> love it. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I'll see you later. <laughs> Bye. See Bye. ya.